Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Today, a rare sun of spring, and horse carts clanging to the quays down Tara Street, and the shoeless, white-faced kids screaming. O'Keefe comes in and climbs up on a stool, wags his knapsack around on his back, and looks at Sebastian Dangerfield. These are the opening lines to the book that is the subject of today's podcast, The Ginger Man, by J.P. Dunleavy. And why have we chosen to talk about this book? Well, because it's essentially the story of a young man going on one big session. And he does it in some of Dublin's best-known poems. Welcome to Publin, a podcast about the culture, history and heritage of pubs at home and abroad. take you on sort of an aural pub crawl of the literary kind. It doesn't really follow a route, save that set out in linear time in the book, and I can't say that I know exactly what these pubs are now, but that's a mild irrelevance. What matters is that the ginger man himself sat down in these pubs, on the page at least, and immortalised them in one of the best-selling novels of the 20th century. The book explores the city of Dublin as much as it does the character of Sebastian Dangerfield, and how better to explore Dublin than through its pubs and through the eyes of a hell-raising raconteur. So I should clarify that I'm not going to give you a summation of the events of The Gingerman, so it's quite alright to listen to this if you have and have not read the book, and you'll both understand what I'm talking about and won't have the book spoiled for you. Anyway, it's not necessarily a book of twists and turns of plot, but rather a study of the unusual main character. I'll of course be looking at pubs for the most part, but I want to first introduce you to three people. Two real and one fictional. The first we've already met, Sebastian Dangerfield, the protagonist of the book, who was given the nickname The Ginger Man. He's an American, moved to Dublin following the Second World War, a well-spoken man who was a student in Trinity College. 
His studies are paid for by the GI Bill, and he receives a modest stipend from the US government. He's also married with a child. Sounds wholesome and stable enough, doesn't he? Well, he's not. In fact, he's a complete pig. He's a drunkard, a liar, an adulterer, and while he has many friends, he wouldn't exactly be a man you could rely upon. Although to his credit, he does buy around when he has cash, but he's also known to duck out on a tab and to rack up bills on credit in grocers and butchers. This is the man who will be following around some of Dublin's best pubs. The creator of Sebastian Dangerfield and author of the book, The Ginger Man, is J.P. Dunleavy, a man who, like his main character, came to Ireland to study under the GI Bill. Though he liked to drink and was familiar with many Dublin pubs, the book is not autobiographical in the sense that Dangerfield is a stand-in for himself. He does, however, use his extensive knowledge of Dublin pubs learned from his student days to his advantage. He is also a man who knows what it is to be short of money and have to scrape money together for food, lodgings and drink. Dunleavy was born in Brooklyn in 1926 and it was in 1946 that he arrived in Dublin one year before the events of The Ginger Man being set. He published the book, his first, in 1955, through a Parisian publisher with whom he would have frequent legal battles over ownership rights. Dunleavy continued to live in Ireland from 1946 until his death in 2017. The third person of interest to us is the man upon whom Sebastian Dangerfield is based, a man named Gaynor Christ, a fellow American and friend of Dunleavy. I should say that certain elements of his character are the inspiration for the gingerman, and that Christ was well liked by Dunleavy and he believed him to be a good man, once describing him as saintly. The inspiration and the fictional character are not interchangeable, and any of the escapades hereafter mentioned should not be attributed to poor Gaynor Christ. In my notes for the episode I wrote, add up all of the drinks that he had in each pub and at home. And to be honest, there are just too many to count and keep track of, while also taking in the book. It would have been a distraction. But believe me when I say that there was an awful lot of drink taken. Dudley wrote a book in the early 90s called The History of the Ginger Man, in which he wrote a biography of the book, himself, and his memories of certain characters in Dublin. He described the city of the 1940s as Sodom and Gomorrah by the Liffey. He had this to say about his fellow Americans buzzing around the city at the time. They frequented the pubs of Dublin, which were elbow-to-elbow jammed, all day and into the evening throes of closing time, as the cliché-shattering opinions flew and voices inquired, What are you having? And you'd better be having something, as bartenders with sleeves rolled back handed the glasses out over the heads as the rounds of drinks were bought and the sound of mechanical corkscrews twisted their way down, with a thump and pop into the necks of the bottles of stout. And it was the name of this dark brew, Stout, which had confounded me when I first encountered it in James Joyce's writing. This beverage, which pumped blood through the hearts of the citizens and fueled the city, and ended up flowing through pub latrines, sewers, and back to the Liffey, from whose headwaters it had first come. Grey parcels of it carried away out of the pub following closing time, often to just down the street as it was from the pub, Davy Burns. It was during this time that he heard a line at what he described as a hoolie said to one of his compatriots by a Dubliner in a way that only a Dubliner could. Cheer up, or I'll break your face. I think that sums up the aggressive party culture of the time. Dangerfield himself, in the novel, captures this mean drunkenness. Must get into a public house. Where? 
I owe money in every one. That's one thing about me anyway. I can run up credit in a public house, and that's saying a whole lot. Go up the Grafton Street, cheer me up with its wealth. But where are the rich? Just poor miserable bastards like me have nowhere to go, invited nowhere. Why doesn't someone invite me? Come on, invite me. You're all afraid. I think now the scene is set. A brazen American with charm and an accent that could open doors for him in a city that was wild, electric and dirty. So what about the pubs? Let the pub crawl begin. The first pub on our tour is a little bit of a puzzle, considering we get a little bit of detail, but nothing too precise. Dangerfield says of the pub where he meets his pal O'Keefe, This public house is dark and comforting with a feeling of scholarship, with the back gate of Trinity College just outside. Makes me feel I'm close to learning, and to you students who don't take the odd malt. Maybe I put too much faith in atmosphere. If I were to guess, I would say that this is Kennedy's pub on Westland Row, formerly Kenny's, a well-known haunt of Trinity students going back years. It makes a claim that alumnus and Nobel Prize winner for literature Samuel Beckett was a patron in his college days, so Dunleavy, or Dangerfield, would both be in good company here. A spanner in the works of this theory, however, is the existence of a nearby pub on Fenian Street that could at a stretch be said to have, quote, the back gate of Trinity College just outside. I'm talking about a pub now known as the Ginger Man. Could this pub have been named because of this mention in the book, or is it named after it in a more general sense? I'm going to go with Kennedy's as the most likely option here. It's a fine collegiate pub and a good first port of call, especially for the Ginger Man, considering he is a Trinity student and this is a Trinity pub. Our second stop isn't too far away from Kennedy's, though the visits don't happen on the same day in the book. However, for our purposes, we only have to make a short mental skip and hop down the road to Suffolk Street, where Dangerfield is attempting his first of three or so seductions of Irish women in the book. Good evening. Hello. Are you window shopping? Yes, it passes the time. Mate in one move. Come and have a drink with me. Well, come along. Well, there's nothing stopping me. All right. Where do you live? South Circular Road. You're not Irish. What makes you say that? My voice? No. Your teeth. All the Irish's teeth are rotting. You have good teeth. They walk to the bottom of Grafton Street. We'll go into that pub. Nice soft seats upstairs. For my money, that's possibly O'Donoghue's Suffolk Street, not to be confused with the pub of the same name on Marion Row. I've consulted the Every Pub in Dublin blog, and so far as I can tell from that, there doesn't appear to have been another pub on the same stretch. It was formerly called the Thing Moat, after a nearby curiosity of local Viking geography, the Suffolk House, and Slatteries and Burks. This was to be the first stop for Dangerfield and Christine, the laundry girl, as he walked her around the city. They walked up Suffolk Street and onto George's and then Wexford Street, where they came upon, as Dangerfield puts it, the place of birth of Thomas More. This would be familiar to a lot of pub-goers in the city in bygone years as what was once J.J. Smith's, a pub well-known for its blues bar upstairs. In recent years, it has undergone refurbishment, and the name above the door is The Thomas More. So an easy one to identify, and a place from the book that is also still in use as a pub. And a fine one at that. They set off along Suffolk Street, into the Wicklow Street, and up the Great George's, and over there Thomas More was born. Come in and see it. A nice public house indeed. 
but I must go home and wash my hair, but just a quick one. In they went, the embarrassed figures looking at them and bird whispering. The man showed them to a booth. He was clearly bringing her to some of the nicer pubs around town in an effort to impress her. And indeed, these pubs are of a good standard as well today. Further up the road, Dangerfield tries to entice Christine, the bleeding horse, for further libations. The pub holds the very same name today and has done so for many decades, except for a brief period in the 60s where it was known as the Falcon. This isn't the pub's first mention in significant Irish fiction. It is also mentioned in the works of Irish Gothic author Sheridan Le Fanu. By this stage of the book, we don't have much of a sense of what the main man drinks. Well, everything is the answer to that question, whatever he can get his hands on. But when he has a choice in the matter, he does have a preference. He drinks stout, of course, as any person did in a pub at that time. And why wouldn't you? It's delicious. And paired with that, he would always have a double or a triple Powers Gold label. That was the tipple of choice for Gaynor Christ, and so too was it for the ginger man himself. In the next pub, Dangerfield walks in confidently, plonks himself down, and seeks to order just such a combination. He is then confronted with the unthinkable by the barman, recognising his prior consumption. Sir, I'm afraid I can't serve you. You what? Can't serve you, sir. Rules of the house. You've had enough to drink. I've had enough to drink. What on earth do you mean? I think, sir, you've had sufficient unto your needs now. I think you've had enough now. This is contemptible. Peacefully, sir, now. Keep the peace when you're sober, sir. Now, be very glad to serve you. Little sleep, you'll be fine. Frightful outrage. Are you sure you're not drunk yourself? Now, sir, a place and time for everything. Well, for Jesus' sake. Sebastian turned from the bar, pushed out through the door and along the street. Dangerfield went on his way, but that was not to be the end of the encounter. And may I suggest, dear listener, that if you're to follow along with this pub crawl at any stage, please make yours a single powers. And do not repeat the behaviour you are about to hear. Dangerfield makes his way back to the pub after having multiple whiskies and porter in what we think is the Queen's or Finnegan's in Dawkey. The barman relents and serves him, but by this stage the blood is up and he hasn't forgotten the earlier slight and refusal of service. No trouble now, no trouble. Shut up. Am I drunk? Am I drunk? No. Why, you Celtic lout? I am. I'm drunk. Hear me. I'm drunk and I'm going to level this kip. Level it to the ground. And anyone who doesn't want his neck broken, get out. The whiskey bottle whistled past the bartender's head, splattering in a mess of glass and gin. Dangerfield drank off the whiskey in a gulp, and a man up behind him with a bottle of stout, which he broke on Dangerfield's head, stout dripping over his ears and down his face, reflectively licking it from around his mouth. The man in horror rang from the building. The bartender went down the trap door in the floor, Sebastian over the bar standing on it, selecting a bottle of brandy for further reference. Three brave figures at the door peering in upon the chaos and saying stop him, as this danger made for the door, and one man's hand reached out to grab him, and it was quickly twisted till the fingers broke with his squeal of agony, and the other two lay back to attack from behind, and he jumped foof on Dangerfield's shoulders, and was flipped neatly on his arse five paces down the street. From charming playboy to lawless drunk in a matter of hours. And what pub did this all occur in? Well, from the text of the police report, we could know that the pub was called Kelly's Garden Paradise. 
a name that produces no hits or hints of location around Dublin in any archive we've searched. That's quite unfortunate because if the pub existed today, I'm sure they'd have a poster bearing the text of the police report in it. It reads, Man amok in public house. Chased through streets what was reported by a witness to police as a most savage attack took place in Kelly's Garden Paradise, licensed premises, yesterday evening. A man described as foreign-looking, with an English accent, was reported to have entered above premises in a threatening mood and to have set upon the occupants in a wild way. Witness to the attack told police he was having a quiet drink with friends when there was shouting and commotion. He turned to see a man throwing a bottle of whiskey at the head of the bartender who ducked and went through a trap door in the floor. The man then vaulted over the bar and smashed everything in sight. He turned upon occupants who had no alternative but to escape to the street. The accused then ran away and was followed by witnesses who alerted the guards. He found the man hiding in a hallway but was threatened with violence and told to give up his hat and coat. Culprit then escaped on a bicycle. Several guards and citizens gave chase to the top of Stephen's Green but all trace was lost in Cuff Street where it is thought he may still be in hiding. Guard Ball, who returned to the scene of attack for evidence, stated that the general condition of the premises gave every indication of being that of a battlefield. Witness, whose four fingers were broken in the attack, was treated at St. Patrick Dunn's Hospital and allowed to go home. The search for the culprit, described by police as being tall, of light complexion, wearing tan trousers and sports coat, is being continued as it is thought he may be insane. His eyes were given as very wild. I can imagine these words, with an artist's depiction of Dangerfield, being sold at a poster fair in Trinity College in the early 2000s to be hung up on the walls of literature students who fancied themselves as Dangerfield's heir during their stint in the arts faculty. Before we take a break, here's a word from the protagonist on his drink of choice, Guinness's Stout, about which he frequently waxes lyrical. Out there is the largest brewery in the world beating up the foaming pints over the Watling Street and Stevens Lane and the lovely blue trucks bringing it around the city so that at any time, any place, I'm never more than 20 paces from a pint. I am certain that stout is good joy, reblooder of the veins and brain feeder. escapades later and he's off again tasting the taverns of Dublin. First up is another pub with a Dublin literary connection. It was called the Scotch House and existed at the top of Hawkins Street where it meets the Liffey. The building was knocked down and is now called Aviation House. The Scotch House featured as one of the stops in the short story counterparts included in James Joyce's classic Dubliners. From here, Dangerfield goes on to a raucous house party where he meets another impressionable woman. After a rake of drink at the party, and Mary now in tow, Sebastian isn't satisfied with his fill of drink and brings Mary elsewhere in the city. Although he has already proven to her that he isn't the most reputable of fellows, he tries to lure her in with his choice of pub. I'm going to take you to the head, Mary, where we can drink with a better class of people. This must, of course, refer to the Stag's Head on Dame Court, a pub of much repute that bears the same name today. You'll find all walks of life there, and of course they're all a better class of people. He of course is suggesting to Mary that he belongs in such a pub. They hop in a horse and cab and make their way on to the south quays of the Liffey. 
As they approach Wine Tavern Street, he says to her, Now, Mary, I want you to see this fine old inn, finest of its type in Europe, and I'll sing you a song. Oh, the Wine Tavern Street is the silliest of the streets full of fury. Oh, the very, very best for this moo from Missouri. Anyone who listened to last week's episode of this podcast about what we referred to as the most beautiful pub in Dublin might remember that the pub existed on the corner of Woodkey and Wine Tavern Street. Was he attempting to bring Mary into the Irish House pub, one that could certainly be called the finest of its type in Europe? It was a pub that stood out from the others of the time, with round towers, stucco figures of Irish nationalists, and phrases and iconography from the Romantic Gaelic revival of the 19th century. He was certainly putting the moves on her, if he was trying to take her to the stag's head and the Irish house. After a brief altercation with the cab driver, he invites him in to join them for a drink. I can't imagine too many people inviting their taxi driver in with them to share a jar these days. When he's trying to woo the unsuspecting Irish women in the story, he manages to hold it together and carry his alcohol like a pro, but when the women are out of sight, his inhibitions drop and he is more likely to reveal his true self, as evidenced by his behaviour on the way to his next stop, O'Donoghue's on Marion Row. Dangerfield, abandoning his spider walk, set off swiftly across the street towards O'Donoghue's public house. He missed the door. A great slap of body into the wall. He stood there, stunned, scratching at the bricks. O'Keefe, watching him, broke into wild laughter. The crowd stepped back further. When shouters laugh, there's violence. O'Keefe, speaking to the crowd, Can't you see I'm mad? Drink is the curse of this damn country. He followed Dangerfield, who was standing, a bit twitchy, inside the pub door. I think by this stage of this virtual tour, you might have guessed that it would take several outings and a bit of travel to turn this into an actual pub crawl. He mentioned that the stag's head was where a better class of people drank, and he has also had a similar opinion of the Palace Bar on Fleet Street. It said people of letters and fine conversation frequent this place, and they call it a palace. I'm keeping out of sight. The Palace Bar at this time was well known as a pub where writers and journalists congregated. The Palace was where the more respectable elements of the literary set would drink and converse, whereas it was in McDade's on Harry Street where the more rough and ready elements would do the serious drinking in a more raucous atmosphere. This was the pub of Behan and Kavanagh, though the two didn't particularly care for each other's company. This was where those who resided for free and somewhat illegally in what was known as the catacombs would do their drinking. In fact, both were referenced in The Gingerman in relation to a character named Tone Malarkey who lived in these catacombs. I think if God ever took him into heaven, he'd never get him out again. And I think he is secretly planning to win a few quid and buy cement blocks and just concrete himself in with a tunnel down to the dades for the odd pint. J.P. Dunleavy described this pub as a place where... Quote, the disgraceful could further disgrace themselves. And that's saying a lot considering he himself was a regular. That curiosity of the Irish licensing laws, the so-called holy hour, when pubs had to close for two hours on a Sunday, also featured in the book. Dangerfield, an accomplice, had to leave a pub at one point and witnessed this scene outside. When they came out, the traffic was stopped. Heads out of the cars and honking horns. Down the street, a huge hulking man lay himself down in the road and went to sleep. Some said he had drink taken. 
others that he was listening to see if he could hear the pulse of the city. Before Dangerfield makes his journey to London in the book, there are a few more pubs to be visited, those being most likely Toners of Baggett Street, the International on Wicklow Street, which he describes as a public house which I have always found very special, it can't be beat for the mahogany or barrels, and finally, a trip to the Bleeding Horse for, what else, a Powers Gold label. Throughout the book, Dangerfield is scrimping and scavenging to get by, all the while drinking what money he does have. But always on the horizon is the possibility of his coming into his inheritance, as he does hail from a wealthy family from St. Louis. So the prospect of him having money to play with at some point in the future is very real. He shares his thoughts with Malarkey as to what his dream is if he were to have some money. Do you want the truth? I want the truth. First thing, I'd get a suit made. Then I'd come along to the seventies and put a hundred pound note on the bar. Drink up the whole kip of ye. I'll send a hundred quid to O'Keefe and tell him to come back. May even, if I get drunk enough, put a plaque on the sidewalk on the corner of Harry and Grafton. Percy Clocklin, keeper of the kip who farted on this spot. R.I.P. Then, Sebastian, I'll start from College Green and I'll walk every inch of the way from here to Kerry, getting drunk at every pub. Not far off what he and his friends have already been doing, save for a better suit and a bit of generosity to his fellow drinkers. Pubs are mentioned in many Irish literary works, but this must be the novel that features drink and pubs most prominently, and in a way that paints the protagonist for what he is, a drunkard. The pubs, however come out of it relatively unscathed. They're described in usually glowing terms, and the barmen, though antagonistic to Dangerfield, are presented as consummate professionals. If you were to add two more pubs onto this mammoth list of pubs relating to the Gingerman, you could add the Seven Towers and the Cosmos. These were said to be Gaynor Chris, the real Gingerman's favourite pubs. I've been unable to track down the location of these pubs and what they might be now, so if anyone were to have information on them, please do shoot me an email. There is apparently a memorial shrine to Gaynor Christ behind the bar in Grogan's pub, the spiritual successor to McDade's, but on my last visit I couldn't locate it. It's a framed photo given to the pub by Desmond McNamara to memorialise Christ following his death in Grand Canaria in 1964. I now know that it's held as part of a collection in the Little Museum of Dublin, and there's a photographic scan of the shrine on the Google Arts and Culture site, if you'd like to Google it. I leave the last words on Christ to his friend J.P. Dunleavy in the form of this anecdote about him and his Great Dane dog that he acquired on his birthday. In his impoverished circumstances, he would peruse the pages of fortune and would, with his canine birthday present grunting, good-naturedly, ferry the enormous armful to the nearest pub, and there, with the beast collapsed at his feet, he would nervously tap the bar with the edge of a half-crown, ordering for himself a double Irish whiskey and a glass of draught stout, plus a pint of the latter, for the dog. Then, with a twiddle of fingertips, he would have the immediately emptied glasses refilled and announce that both he and the dog were now in the proper frame of mind to begin seriously drinking and thinking and ready to indulge another quality I found attractive in this man, and which he'd already instilled in the Great Dane, of being an avid listener to anything that was said. I mentioned earlier that there is a Gingerman pub in Dublin on Fenian Street. There's also one in Waterford, one in Connecticut, one in New York, and four 
in Texas. The American ones were supposedly given the blessing by Dunleavy himself, to use the name. I won't tell you what happens at the end of The Ginger Man or what becomes of Sebastian Dangerfield, but I will tell you, in his own words, what he hoped would happen to him in death. When I die, I want to decompose in a barrel of porter and have it served in all the pubs in Dublin. I wonder, would they know it was me? As I started with the opening words to this book, I'll conclude on the last. God's mercy on the wild ginger man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Publin Podcast. It's time-consuming, but it's always good fun to read through a book and be furiously taking notes whenever a pub is mentioned. There were plenty of London pubs mentioned too, but I'm not quite ready to expand out to the UK just yet. There's a few pubs in this episode that I just couldn't place or locate or couldn't find reference to, so if you have any best guesses on where they might be, shoot me an email via publinie at gmail.com. My name is John. I'm happy to say that the audience for this podcast is growing and growing, but I think it could stand to grow a little more. And what would really help with that would be if you were to share it to friends or rate and subscribe via your podcast app. The podcast is now listened to regularly by people in 80 countries around the world. So let's try and make it 81 by next week. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll be back soon with another story about Dublin pubs next week. So all that's left to say is cheers and slauncha. flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 